This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My God, Dukes are going to corner the entire frozen orange juice market. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Duggan. In preparation for this episode, please make sure your tray tables are upright and your seats are erect. That's the, that's the word they use, right? Fasten your seatbelts because we're taking off with an episode that will fly you back to the mile-high sexism of the 70s. To tell you all about what it was like to be a flight attendant back in those days, we welcome the author of The Great Stewardess Rebellion, Nell McShane Wolfart. In our headlines, after this market downturn, how broken is your nest egg? We'll share some maybe disturbing numbers. Plus, we'll use our Haven Lifeline as an excuse to weigh in on a Reddit AITA thread, and then I'll fly in with my trivia. And now, your co-pilots on the non-stop to Benjamin Town, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. And a happy Wednesday to you, stackers. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And you know it's always wild, OG, when you get to... Wednesday morning, you're like, man, I'm exhausted. And and then you realize that you didn't even work Monday because it was a holiday. It's June 1st, man. All these four-day works are horrible. How great is that? It's summertime. Is anybody working at all these days? It's summer. Heck yeah. We're going to put in a full hour here in the basement. Ready to bring this? With overtime. We're going to talk about rebellion in the skies, changing stewardesses to flight attendants, the, uh, the changing of the guard. Now... Now what's cool is, is the flight attendants just throw a drink at me, growl at me. Actually, I take that back. I've been flying a lot lately. They've been fantastic. But I did have one about a year and a half ago who was uh, explaining to me how it's not cranberry juice, it's cranberry cocktail. And there is a difference, Doug. There is a difference. Listen, if there's not vodka in it, it's not a cocktail. (laughs) Don't talk to me about some marketing scam until there's some hooch in there. Whatever, dude. Just throw some vodka in it. You can call it whatever you want. That's right. Right. No, I said, hey, lady, if I want to call it cranberry juice, 
even though it's got the little something something seriously in it. you're taking another run at this i think jo- i think og and i pretty much nailed it <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> i'm gonna find this joke <laughs> There's going to be, a, for those of you listening at home, we've uh, rewound this three times as I try to find the funny in this, and it this just is like is not. Watching your four-year-old try to drive a golf cart and just keep backing up. No, and taking- I thought you were going to say it's like a four-year-old telling a joke. It's like when Caroline's like, I have a joke for you. I'm like, all right. She's like, what is brown and purple and yellow? And you're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's my teddy bear. <laughs> and you're like, oh. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, how about you go tell someone else that joke and get out of this? <laughs> All right, we done with this. We got a very important show today. Oh, now Joe's ready to move on as long as we're critiquing his humor. Mel McShane Wolfart is here today. <laughs> Bulldozing right through us. <laughs> but first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to Uh, My nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. It's Wednesday here in the basement. We're so happy to help you get into the second half of your week. Talking about life at work, changing the nature of your workplace. Going to talk about this uh, stock market. So let's go. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline comes to us from Bloomberg News. Five trillion quote wealth shock is cracking Americans' nest egg. Do you know that collectively, OG, people have lost more than $5 million, $5 million, $5 trillion, trillion. Did I say million? I'll take hyperbole for 300 Alex, please. The world's richest nation, Bloomberg writes, is waking up to an unpleasant and unfamiliar sensation. It's getting poorer. Americans' collective net worth has been climbing at a dizzying rate for the past two years, even as families and businesses contended with the ravages of COVID-19, households piled up. That's why they got extra money. 
because of all the stimulus money. Yeah, that's right. Not in spite of an extra thirty-eight and a half trillion dollars from early twenty twenty to the end of last year, bringing their collective net worth to a record one hundred forty-two trillion dollars. The Federal Reserve estimates, just as the U.S. is learning to live with the virus and spending shifts back to our pre-pandemic normal faces a new scary threat, a plunge in wealth since the start of 2022 that JP Morgan and Chase estimates total at least $5 trillion and could reach $9 trillion by year end. So let me get this straight. And this is, this is why I wanted to highlight this. You talked about hyperbole, OG. The headline sounds awful. I dig in and they go, hey, we made $38 trillion in the past two years. It's way more than than years before we've just been raking in the cash mm-hmm. and everybody's feeling really bad because we've given back five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like, I like the, what you just said a second ago, OG, which is hyperbole for the win or, you know, I mean, it does, it just seems like, Oh, we got to fill the word count. We've got some column inches. We got to fill. What can we write to maybe make somebody's eyebrow raise and click on our article? Well, it worked for us. Apparently we clicked on it. Yeah. yeah. This is, this sort of stuff is so frustrating because you know, we talk about the need for financial education. We talk about the need for making sure that people do the right thing with money. We talk about how you're not taught financial education in school or, you know, and everybody is like, oh yeah, we need more financial literacy, da, 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 da. And then a media outlet that is, you know, consumer facing, that is ostensibly designed to like help the people with money run stupid crap like this and it like it just riles people up for no flipping reason instead of saying what should be said which is the words that they said they can say they just have to say it differently hey in the last two years we've had 38 trillion dollars of growth now you're giving back five you shouldn't be worried about that this is kind of normal the market goes down 14 percent every year on average so now we're down 18 which is kind of sort of you know, maybe a little below average, but still kind of within average. Hey, it's been up 20 some odd percent the last two years. If you go back five years, the market's still up 70%. Like all of that stuff is the stuff that Bloomberg should be flipping saying and not this nonsense about like, oh my God, you're about to be broke. And it's just, it's so freaking infuriating when companies will, or, you know, places will spew this nonsense when our job in the media, our job that we try to do and what they should be a thousand times better at than us because, you know, they have a whole freaking team of people to do is to help people do the right thing. And that's not what's happening here. So uh, humoring me here for a second, how could they have written that headline so that it accomplished what you just said and still got me to click on it? Because if it said in the last three years, we've gained 33 trillion. How about, have you checked your 401k balance? You're up 33 trillion. That doesn't get me to click on that article. Your 401k balance is up 33 trillion. It's even a better headline. I'm not a marketing guy, but this is the, you know, this is Joe's trying to get a word in. It's just, sorry. Sorry, dude. I've got the headline. It's halfway through the piece. I'm just trying to tell you what the real headline is because it's here and it's buried. You kicked it. Okay. But go ahead. Well, I'll continue. be the judge of whether or not it would get me to click on it. Go ahead. You try. Continue. No, I want to hear Joe's. No, continue. Right. OG's on a that. rant. Go ahead. After you. Age before beauty. No, really. After you. Just going to sit here and wait. Drink your cranberry juice cocktail (laughs) and wait for us to finish. 
John Norris, chief economist at Oakworth Capital Bank, said it's painful to get back to normal after really being in a fantasy world last year. And here's the headline, the second half of his quote. It's going to feel a lot worse than it actually is. I would click on a piece that said it's going to feel a lot worse than it actually is. That's clickbaity. It's fun. That sounds like a headline from Cosmo, not from Bloomberg. Exactly. It's going to feel a lot worse. (laughs) All of these sound like that. It's just so annoying that we can't rely on the people who are supposed to be in the know, right? Bloomberg or the news or, you know what I mean? Like it all has to be, to your point, Doug, and maybe this is where you're getting to, it all has to be around how many clicks can I get? How much marketing money can I get? How much how much ad space can I sell in this newscast or whatever instead of having the actual helpful thing? I don't know. It's it's mind-boggling. If you feel like you've lost a lot of money, how about this? Elon Musk, as of the time that this was written, has lost $139.1 billion. Imagine him looking at his 401k statement. Isn't that like us losing about $400? <laughs> It's tied to rebalance. Actually, they say here it's 41% of his net worth. Uh, maybe that's what happens when you go after Twitter. I don't that's know. when you own. No, it's what happens when you own single stock exposure and your mm-hmm. wealth rises and falls based on the outcome of one specific company. Yeah. Mr. Bezos, second richest person, lost $82.7 billion, 39% of his peak wealth. So. I have issues with that information too. Like what, what do we do with this? Like, so what? I don't care. What does it matter to me? You know, is it misery loves company? Am I supposed to be like, well, my 401k is only down 18%. So I guess, I guess I'm doing really good. Maybe I'm zooming out too much, but for them, that's, it's like, a, I was going to say a Pyrrhic loss. It's paper, it's paper loss. That wasn't real wealth for them. Right. I mean, cause they weren't going to cash out two months ago of everything and neither are we. If our 401ks go down, whatever percent, we weren't going to cash out. We got to let it ride, just like they're going to let it ride. So isn't all of that talk about how much you're losing just irrelevant? But I think it's relevant if you need the money. If you need the money right now, it's definitely relevant. If you don't need the money, then it's not relevant. Well, if you need the money later, not today. Nobody is cashing out of of their investment pool, almost nobody, except in the most extreme, unusual circumstances, almost nobody is selling everything that day or that month. No, but down. still, if you're selling like uh, Linda on Monday, remember Linda talking about cashing out the 529 plan where she's got oh, right. too much money in a spot that's that's lost money. She's in the age-based and it still lost a bunch of money. So she thinks she did the right thing, still lost some money. It's difficult to difficult to see those situations. Those are those yeah, are but horrible. that wasn't forty percent. You know, I mean, I get it. No, and on paper, the loss looks a lot worse than it than it was because she's only taking a portion and cashing that out. But it still ends up being a real loss. I think this is a good reminder of people to go back and listen to last week. OG and I did a top five where we talked about the top five things to do in the market downturn. We'll have a link in the show notes to that. That should be your next lesson if you're worried about the fact that. Uh, we have uh, doom and gloom now, according to Bloomberg. It's all over, OG. Just pack your bag, move to a cave, and I think we're about done. So on that, on that happy note. Move to a cave or a basement. Yes. Coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, change in the workplace. A bunch of people working in, the, in our skies decided that, you know what? 
their workplace wasn't what they wanted it to be. They decided to make a change. Nell McShane Wolfhart is a former New York Times columnist, frequent contributor, writes for Travel and Leisure, The Wall Street Journal, Condé Nast Traveler, and more. Today, we're going to talk about how stewardesses change to flight attendants. And some of these stories, guys, from the 70s, wait, wait till you hear some stories about just how sexist the skies used to be. You can only, only imagine. That's coming up in a minute. But to get there, uh, Doug, I think you've got some trivia for us. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I was just talking to Nell upstairs, and she complimented me on my outfit. Little does she know, Joe makes me wear it. I said the shorts were too tight, but Joe's all like, give the people what they want. Then he took the hem up another inch while I was still wearing them. Luckily, the work environment for flight attendants is way better today. So is the pay. So my question is, what is the median salary for a flight attendant? $61,000, or $81,000? I'll be back with the answer after I see if I can use my seat for a flotation device in Joe's mom's above-ground pool. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. I'm oxygen mask huffer and life raft model, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. 
Almost 100,000 people work as flight attendants, and though their perks differ from airline to airline, many get to fly for free. You'd think with this outfit on, Joe would at least give me free snacks, especially after I've dropped them and picked them back up in front of him and OG a few times. Not my shorts, the snacks, people. Get your mind out of the gutter. Alas, the vending machine remains, and after learning how much flight attendants make, I can see that I need the cash more than they do. So, what is the median salary for a flight attendant? $61,000. And now, to tell us what they used to have to do to make a living, Nell McShane Wolfhart. And now coming down the stairs to the basement to talk about the great stewardess rebellion. I haven't said that word in a long time, by the way, stewardess. Uh, no, Wolfhart's here. How are you? I'm great, Joe. How are you? I'm I'm fantastic. I am so curious, Nell. What made you decide to talk about this war in the skies? I basically stumbled across this story of the great stewardess rebellion a few years ago, completely by accident. And... Once I realized that there had been this whole kind of secret history about flight attendants who were leaders of the labor movement and leaders of the feminist movement and doing all this wearing these kind of miniskirts and very, um, let's say, creative 70s uniforms, I was just totally hooked. Well, I was hooked from the beginning of the book because you begin with this quote. Quote, this morning, sightseeing in New York, and in about five hours, I'll meet my date for dinner in San Francisco, 1961. This is a newspaper ad for American Airlines. This, by the way, is not enticing people to fly American. This is enticing flight attendants to come work for the company. Sounds incredibly romantic, Nell. Stewardess back in the 60s was the most aspirational job. Like it was for young women all across America. They were applying in the tens of thousands to become a stewardess. Because their alternatives were pretty limited. You know, they could be a nurse, they could be a teacher, maybe they could be someone's secretary. I mean, a man's secretary. But, you know, the airlines really sold this image of like glamorous, cosmopolitan, fly around the world. You know, uh, this incredible experience that would sort of get you out of your your family situation and, and have you living this wonderful lifestyle. And I love how then you dive into the truth. You follow a woman named Pat. And I thought as a way to getting to the truth of what the situation was back in the 60s, Nell, maybe you could walk us through. First of all, who is Pat and uh, why did she decide to become, at the time, a stewardess? Sure. Pat Gibbs in 1961 was 19 years old, living in Missouri, and she was dying to get away from her family and live an independent life. And she applied to be an American Airlines stewardess. And, you know, the process for becoming a stewardess at that point was very difficult. You had to be very thin. You had to meet these very, very strict weight requirements. You had to have straight teeth. Pat went for the interview and then they sent her home again because she had a gap in her teeth. So she got braces. She's very determined. She went back and then she, you know, went back and got the job. And then she went to stewardess school for six weeks, learned how to be a stewardess, and then she started flying. And the book kind of traces her evolution from this wide-eyed 19-year-old from Missouri who was just, her biggest ambition in life was to become a stewardess supervisor to how she became a militant union leader because she realized that this workplace was actually really, really terrible for women. Well, and it's funny when you're describing her in that first interview, the man across the table from her has her stand up. It sounds like he kind of has her turn around so he can look at every part of her, which is just incredibly creepy. 
And then, and then he tells her, you've got a gap in your teeth comes back. And now I was surprised when you wrote, she was excited by that. Like she was so excited that she might have a shot at this, that she goes and gets braces on her own dime so that she can do this creepy thing again. I'm telling you, becoming a stewardess was like a dream job for young women at that time. And, you know, they didn't really think anything of it. I interviewed so many women who had applied to be stewardesses in the 60s and 70s. And every one of them at their interview, somebody made them get up, turn around, walk across the room, walk back just so they could check out their body. And not one of them thought it was unusual or creepy in any way. But, you know, they also couldn't have scars. They couldn't wear glasses. There were like a number of other appearance requirements that they had to meet in addition to being very thin. On top of that, you write, they also could not be married and uh, overwhelmingly white. You could not be you could not be a minority. It took a very long time to get any kind of real diversity on the planes. Also, the tenure of being a stewardess was really short in the 60s. Like if you got married, you would be fired. If you got pregnant, you would definitely be fired. And if you had managed to avoid both of those things, when you turned 32, you would be fired because you were considered too old for this job that was only really for very young women. <laughs> well, and what shocked me was that, and I never knew this, you write that that was in the contract. Like there was a contract that Pat signed right at the beginning that explicitly said you will be fired when you're 32 years old. Oh, and she signed it happily. She was like, I'm 19, 32, it's a million years away. Something will happen before then. She didn't think twice. She signed the contract, went off to stewardess school, and yeah, went from there. So she goes to stewardess school. Let's talk about this place because she worked for American Airlines, but American isn't the only place that has stewardess school. Sounds like they were the first one, though. They were the first ones to open up like a really almost a college campus. Every stewardess, once she had passed the interview stage, she was sent there for six weeks to, it was called the Charm Farm. So that'll give you a little bit of an idea of what went on there. But it was like, you know, school dormitories. They were sleeping six to a room and they went to classes. They had classes on things like emergency evacuation, obviously, and, you know, serving food on the plane and how to mix a cocktail. But most of their classes were about how to put on makeup correctly, how to style your hair in the acceptable way, the way your uniform should look, how your shoes should be polished, how your nails should be polished. So you spent six weeks at the Charm Farm before you were sent off to your base. And most of that was appearance focused. And bars on the windows and also high fences. Was this to keep men out or, or people out or was that to keep them in? <laughs> I would say both. I generally assume that these women, I mean, one of the things that came up again and again as I was researching the book was how first the, the Charm Farm and then their employers, like the airlines, just treat these women like they're children, like they're absolutely infantilized. And so these women at the Charm Farm, they were all over the age of 18. But yeah, there were bars on the windows and fences around the campus. And I think protecting their um, <clears throat> virtue was considered a priority. And uh, the things that they had to eat, I mean, they're eating uh, stereotypical diet food at the time. You mentioned that to keep their weight down. And uh, it sounded like they ate in groups so that the airline could kind of convince them through peer pressure not to eat very much. Weight is maybe one of the biggest issues. Every airline had their own weight charts. So it was usually determined by your height. So if you were five foot three, you couldn't weigh more than 110 pounds and you could be taken off the flight if you went over that maximum. 
and yeah, it started at the at the stewardess school where they would keep a very close eye on what you might put on your tray. And it goes right on through decades at the airlines where in a lot of, you know, every airport has like an operations lounge where all the pilots and this airline management and the flight attendants come through. This is still true. Um, you know, all the offices are around there. And for most of these airlines, they had a big scale right in the middle of the room. Oh. And anyone could just pull a stewardess onto that scale at any point and check her weight. And they could pull her off the flight if they thought she was too heavy. You also mentioned later on that when she's employed by the airline, any man, the pilot, um, you talk about this one creepy guy that they're negotiating with. They can do like a pat down that the stewardess is pretty much called a free feel up. <laughs> Yes, because they had to be sure that they were wearing a girdle. A girdle was absolutely in the regulations, no matter what size you are. There were some very short, very thin women working as stewardesses, and they couldn't find girdles small enough, but they still were required to wear one. And yeah, any manager or pilot could sort of do this like flick against the stewardess's backside to make sure she was wearing the girdle. This this sounds absolutely horrible it's it's this phenomenal (laughs) thing and it just sounds like the worst job ever there must have been a bunch of money at the end of this rainbow though Nell, what tell me these these women are making money hand over fist well you'd like to think so um because they were doing an awful lot of unpaid labor and just preparing themselves to look the part but no stewardesses for at least during the period covered by by my book which is the 60s and the 70s They were really underpaid. They were paid less than the mechanics. They were paid less than the ground crew. They were paid less than the cleaners. And I mean, the obvious reason for that is that they were women. But the the second uh, reason for that is that their their unions and most stewardesses have been unionized since there were stewardesses. They kind of treated them a little bit like mascots of the labor movement. So when it came time to negotiate or bargain, you know, getting more money and getting more benefits for the stewardesses was was not top priority. Most of their attention went to like, you know, the mechanics and the male, the male workers. Well, it was amazing to me too, as you're describing this, that uh, Pat wanted nothing to do with a union at first. She was, she, she went to one meeting and she hated it. Can you describe Pat and how she went from really hoping to be a management trainee to being a union rep? Sure. I mean, Pat was her ultimate dream was to get into management. So if she had done that, this whole book might never even have happened. But there were gradual sort of um, incursions on this dream. Like there was one regulation that the stewardesses back in the 60s, white gloves, sort of like Mickey Mouse style, I always think of them, were part of the uniform. And you had to wear the full uniform when you were in public at all times. And so Pat is on an employee bus. Everyone on the bus is an American Airlines employee. The bus belongs to American Airlines on the shuttle to the airport on the way to work. It's a sweltering day in Texas. She takes off her white gloves and somebody reports her and she's suspended. A few more incidents like that pile up and she starts to think like, hmm, maybe this is not the way things should be. Maybe this is not the dream job I thought it would be. She goes to a union meeting and she over the years just transforms into somebody who is like at the forefront fighting for the rights of stewardesses, you know, lodging grievances, you know, really just like doing things like eliminating high to high heel requirement for women, you know, on, on a flight, a woman could be walking eight miles you know, oh. on one airplane flight. And they had to do all that in three inch heels. So she did things like file grievances to say that they could wear flat shoes. And she, you know, she, she really takes charge and pushes back against this incredibly sexist environment. Yeah. I feel like it's just, man, they have to try to get an inch here and then an inch there, like a chapter by chapter. You're talking about them clawing for just one more little inch. I know that they go to uh, 
they go to Congress at one point. There's a press conference. Held. Well, actually, you present us. 1963, there's this press conference, and you present us with a, another woman named Barbara Rhodes, I think, as a way of telling this story. Can you tell us who Barbara Rhodes is? Sure. Well, she's more commonly known as Dusty. Her nickname was Dusty, so she's Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> she's still alive. She lives in California. She's in her 90s now. And she was a stewardess who started working in the 50s for American Airlines and had always been a union leader. And one of the things that she spent a lot of time trying to break down was that rule that you would be fired when you were 32. And so she organizes a bunch of other stewardesses who are in their 30s. Then they go out to this high of a press conference and they show up like dressed to the nines, crisp stewardess uniforms, hair, every hair in place, looking, you know, very conventionally attractive and gorgeous. And then they ask the reporters, you know, which one of us is over 32? And Dusty addresses them directly and says, do I look like an old bag to you? <laughs> and she basically just like, you know, calling the airlines on this idea that a woman over 32 is no longer attractive and therefore can no longer be a stewardess. Well, and yet the representatives, and this is, this is now we're talking about the United States government even taking part in this sexism. Uh, James H. Shower, I think is the way you pronounce that, Shower, asks one of the women, would you be good enough to have the members of your group stand so we can visualize the dimensions of the problem? Like, I read that right. and I wanted so, like, to puke. <laughs> so the stewardesses are like doing everything they can to try and push back on these completely sexist and really arbitrary rules. And they go to Congress and they, they put their in Congress, like, really pushing for Congress to say like, okay, stewardesses should be allowed to work over the age of 32. And instead the congressmen are just like, get up, turn around. Let's yeah, let's see the dimensions of the problem. Like they're entirely focused on the appearance of the stewardesses, just like the airlines were. Another character then emerges, and this is important because I feel like this is where uh, these women begin to get some traction. Tell me who uh, Sonia Pressman is. Sure. Sonia has a really interesting story. She's also still alive. She's in her 90s and lives in Sarasota. She was the first female attorney in the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in the Office of the General Counsel. And she basically was working when the EEOC opened its doors. You know, they were set up to deal with race discrimination in employment, although they were also supposed to be dealing with sexism in employment, and they just refused to deal with that. They decided they're, you know, they were going to work on race. That was all they were going to focus on, et cetera, et cetera. But stewardesses had been bombarding the EEOC with complaints about discrimination, of, you know, that the airlines were discriminating against them. And these complaints were just stacking up and stacking up and stacking up. And Sonia is the only one who, who insisted they should do something about them. So she gets very involved with that. And eventually she writes a big decision that says that that kind of like frees, liberates the stewardesses, I get from a, from a lot of these sexist airline requirements and and she really has an impact on on their careers but she basically just thought it was unfair and it was oh absolutely and what's interesting about this time that you point out is that while on one hand they're saying that uh women can only be up to 32 years old back to pat pat gets this lesson when she's paired with an with an older flight attendant and they're preparing for an emergency landing, right? They're preparing for emergency landing. And she notices nobody wants to talk to her anymore, Nell. Exactly. They only want to talk to the woman with, with the gray hair. You know, because airlines instituted this age cutoff rule, like in the 50s and 60s, there were some women like the woman you're referring to, also like Dusty Rhodes, who were sort of, sort of grandmothered in. Like they were allowed to keep working past the age of 32 because they joined the airline before that rule existed. 
But the woman that you're referring to, she was eventually just forced off the job, like in kind of devious ways. And yeah, ended up committing suicide because she felt so useless and disrespected. It was really a tragic story. Does the sea change really start to happen with the Civil Rights Act 1964? Yes, absolutely. That was kind of the launch pad. Title VII was was the thing that the stewardesses kind of seized upon and turned into like a weapon. And they went to court over it and they, they brought all the airlines to hearings in front of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And they basically used this to establish case law. And then other cases in the future about discrimination were built on top of that case law established by the stewardesses. Which leads then, Nell, to, I think, a huge decision, which is the airlines decide that it's very important that it's stewardess, meaning it's not flight attendant, it's not men or women, that the fact that you're a woman is very important to this role, and that's going to allow them to continue being sexist. Am I getting that right? (laughs) Yeah, that's more or less right. The airlines worked incredibly hard. They were so dedicated to keeping their workforce young and female. This was something that they they held hearings over and they pushed back on in lawsuits every time the, that a man applied for a job, he was knocked back. And of course, like the stewardesses, the women, they wanted men on board because they realized they could use that to point out how sexist the working conditions were. You know, even things like high heels, like, well, men weren't required to wear them, so why should women be? And many other things. But yeah, the airlines, they <laughs> they jumped through some incredible hoops to try and keep men out of the workforce. They argued that being a stewardess was a natural job for a woman because a woman was naturally inclined to have an interest in things like caretaking and decor. I never really understood that one, but they said that that was something that women were naturally inclined towards, and that's why they were uniquely qualified to be flight attendants. <laughs> yeah, because we need to decorate the cabin of the 727 or whatever, whatever <laughs> right. or whatever the, the plane is at the time. Yeah, I don't get that either. <laughs> so they go to court then, the airlines and the, and the flight attendants. I still have trouble with the word stewardesses, so sorry. How does this come down? What happens? It's kind of a slow process. Like there's a lot of two steps forward, one step back. The airlines, basically, they don't go to court. They have a hearing at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And I think it's important to point out that the airlines asked for this hearing because they were so convinced that they could win and get a ruling that said that, yes, they could keep the airlines only for women. That Only women would be allowed to work there. But um, after a number of upsets and ups and downs and the period of a few years, the decision finally comes down that, no, it's not. Women are not uniquely qualified for the job. It is not a occupational qualification that you need to be a woman to be a flight attendant and the airlines have to open up the cabin to men. What made me... That's also when you change from stewardess to flight attendant. (laughs) Right. Right then. That's the change at that point. My, uh, I groaned when I saw that the airlines, when they started to figure out that this was not going to go their way, they begin trying to file, file all kinds of, of blocks to make sure that the ruling does not come out. So they wanted this fight and then they're trying to block it from ever seeing the light of day. I mean, they're doing like astonishing things. I actually think that in some ways, I mean, it's very depressing, but like this is a really funny part of the book because you just start to learn about all the weird hoops the airlines jump through, all the incredible reasons they come up with for why men shouldn't be allowed to be flight attendants and how it's a uniquely female job. It's just like it's a lot of uh, mental gymnastics. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty interesting. I love the part where you write about an American Airlines advertisement that comes out in the late 60s that talks about how the stewardess is like your mother. 
And then, of course, the stewardesses take that up immediately going, would you fire your mother at age 32? <laughs> would, would you, does mom stop being a mom at 32? That was pretty well. What's the big takeaway for readers here, Nell? I mean, there's people fighting age discrimination. There's people fighting sexism in the workplace. We still have a problem with, uh, with all kinds of biases. What's our takeaway? The main takeaway for me throughout this whole process of researching and interviewing and writing has been that for workers, it's all about unity and that the only way that workers can get anything done is together. Because even when the flight attendants are, are having an issue with their the union they belong to, which is the Transport Workers Union, and then, spoiler alert here, they leave the Transport Workers Union and from their own women-led unions, the only way they get these things done and the only way they push back against all these sexist regulations and these sexist uniforms and the sexist ads is through working together. And I think like the the thing you can we can see even today with, you know, the the airline unions and the flight attendant unions and you know, the unionization happening at Starbucks and at Amazon is that like literally the only way that we can get things done is with each other. Are we seeing that to some degree now with the great resignation? I think this is actually a really interesting question because I the great resignation is about quitting, right? And I'm a big fan of quitting. Like I love to encourage people to quit things that are not serving them all the time. Um, but it seems to have turned out that a lot of people are quitting their jobs, but they're taking better jobs. And there's certainly an argument to be made that, like, you can quit your job, but, you know, you can affect more real long-term change, not just for yourself, but for everyone else by staying put and improving working conditions at that job, you know, usually through forming or joining a union that, like, that's actually an alternative to quitting is to make real change. Obviously, that that can be harder, you know, and it's, it's difficult to have an individual solution to a systemic problem. Yeah. But it's something I think that people could consider. But you think that if enough people quit that an employer finally has to wake up. Well, it's kind of like the equivalent of going on strike, right? You know, people who are just walking out of their jobs and being like, that's it for me. <laughs> Goodbye yeah. forever. Yeah. Um, it's essentially the same thing as striking. You know, if enough people do it, the the bosses really don't have an alternative. They have to raise wages or increase benefits or post working schedules more than two weeks in advance, you know, whatever the workers need. The process of writing this, I was just amazed by clearly the huge amount of research that went into this book. There's had to have been something along the way now that surprised you, that as you're researching it, you go, wow, this is a goldmine I did not expect. Was there one? Well, two things surprised me. One was the fact that flight attendants played such a huge role in the labor movement. I had no idea about that. Yeah. And the second and sort of more entertaining one is the incredible uniforms that the flight attendants were forced to wear oh. uh, in the 60s and 70s. Those Bramf, there were, the, the Bramf Airline, not to cut you off, but those Bramf Airline ones were just... Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, Braniff Airlines in the 60s had something called the airstrip, which meant that throughout the flight, flight attendants would gradually take off like individual pieces of clothing until by the end of the flight, they were just wearing a very simple like shift dress or something. And then it got, I mean, it got even more ludicrous in the 70s. There were dresses made out of paper. Southwest Airlines had hot pants and go-go boots. That was their uniform. And if you can, if you can imagine serving hot coffee to a plane full of people, uh, hot pants, then, you know, you're a, better, you're a better person than I am. And I think my favorite, though, is American Airlines, which had a tartan miniskirt, tartan vest, and a raccoon skin cap. Oh, that no. Was like their Frontier-style uniform for a while. Davy so. <laughs> Crockett, the flight attendant. Exactly. It's exactly what they look like. <laughs> the book is called The Great Stewardess Rebellion, How Women Launched a Workplace Revolution at 30,000 Feet. Uh, I... I 
while I'm groaning and it's awful, the process of reading this, which is so eye-opening, I absolutely loved reading it. Thanks for hanging out with us, Nell, and talking about how Stuart has kind of made things better for a lot of us. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Joe. This is really fun. This is Daryl from Pennsylvania. When I'm not busy arguing with a four-year-old, I'm stacking Benjamins. No, Daddy. Big thanks to Nell for joining us. You know, gee, there's so many lessons there, but um, how about the way the skies used to be? Could you imagine getting into a plane? People behind you are smoking. Uh, that's on the negative side. On the positive side, everything comes to you on like you're in first class. Even when you're in coach, you actually have decent leg room, right? People dress like they're on a business trip. Yes. Everybody gets excited about flying. Not wearing uh, shorts. I feel bad about that sometimes. Like, are you a professional uh, tire wearer to fly or are you like gym shorts and a t-shirt? Uh, none of the above. I have some hiking pants that I like that are just really comfortable and a shirt that uh, can be long sleeve, a Columbia shirt that can be long sleeve if it's cold on the plane, but then I can roll up the sleeves if I get off the plane in a city where it's hot. Show off the guns. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which way to the baggage claim as I Who flex? Who tickets to the gun show? <laughs> But I wear, I have this comfortable, kind of professional looking outfit. I mean, casual. Hiking pants but and a Columbia t-shirt. Looks good. A Columbia shirt. It's a button-up shirt. It's oh, a, it's a button-up shirt. I it's a button-up blue shirt. But no. Are yeah, you, I uh, go back and forth. Like kind of jean, jeans and a polo, you know, with a pullover. And then sometimes I'll be like, but those, uh, you know, Adidas tearaways are awful nice. <laughs> Lululemon <laughs> pants that I have that I lay around in the house on are pretty comfy. And then you look like a slob. You know, I don't know. Well, the real question is, how many cigarettes do you have on a plane? Oh, well, you know, just in the bathroom. You just cover the smoke detector. <laughs> That's all you do. It. You just sit on the floor and you blow it into the toilet. Perfect. <laughs> you said that's remarkably specific. You, Everybody knows that. You have done that a couple of times. Honestly, I've never done. Never. Well, I've smoked, but I've never smoked on an airplane. Nothing makes smoking more glamorous than on all fours in a, in a, in a bathroom lavatory. 37 router. Trying not to get splashed by the blue juice. <laughs> oh, God. As you, as you, as you, as you flush your smoke breath down the toilet. Every, every time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not not great. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first, Doug. Getting a new commissioner for Major League Baseball? Why do we need a new commissioner? Oh, God, he's awful. He's just awful, Joe. You're not a Manfred fan? No, no, I am not. We're, we're working way too hard to speed up a game that is about the same amount of time to watch as any other professional sports game. We're changing rules that don't need to be changed. He said some, you know, he didn't do anything about the Astros cheating scandal. I mean, it, it's just, I could go on and on. It's ridiculous. The Astros winning scandal, the, you mean? It was a winning scandal. Yeah. Yes, it was. Sure, call it what you want. Scandal because they win too much. You're just you're just yeah. mad because your, your signals are too stupid. Like... It's a fastball. <laughs> I went to one of those games, the uh, sped up games, you know, because Doug AAA does it. I went to watch Round Rock and I hadn't finished my beer yet. It was still light out and the game was over. It, it went from maybe, in my opinion, a little too slow to way too fast. Wait a minute. This says more about your drinking skills than the speed of the game. That I can't hammer a beer? you couldn't finish a beer in nine innings... 
I'm very take the nipple <laughs> off. <laughs> very very proud of myself, and yet I can sit here with you two and I can slam four cranberry cocktails. It's very strange, but I'm with my family and I only have one beer, so I don't know what's going on there. But baseball, no, you know what? You have more time to complain about baseball and less time finishing life insurance applications. I'm like, where is this headed? Oh yeah, life insurance. <laughs> Haven Life's application is simple. It's online. They'll give you an instant coverage decision so you can go back to complaining about stuff you can do something about, like changing the baseball commissioner. Prices are affordable. All policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160 years old. You know, today, instead of throwing out the lifeline to another stacker, by the way, if you have a question for us, stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail. But today I was reading uh, the AITA, am I the blank forum the ash hole on uh, reddit yes thank you and here here's the question so am i the jerk i'm 38 year old man with three kids 18 16 13 but one of them isn't biologically mine i found this out about three years ago messy situation so i ended up divorcing my wife and leaving moved to another city because i needed time to heal i wasn't physically involved in my kid's life for two years, but I called them every day, talked to them, also paid child support for the three of them. Here is where I know I did a terrible thing. And maybe that's why Alexander's mad at me and doesn't want to see me. Alexander must be the kid in question. When I called my kids, I only called Sophia and Raphael, the two that are his, because I felt uncomfortable talking to Alexander, the one that's not. One day he was angry grabbed the phone crying and said, don't you love me, dad? Why are they more important to you? I politely replied and said, honey, look, I love you, but I need some time to heal. I'm still your father and I'll be back soon. He knows I'm not his biological father. Talked him through messages because I didn't feel completely comfortable doing a FaceTime, moved back to my city last year with my new partner, settled down and my kids, the other two came to visit me immediately but the middle kid didn't come. So I went to his mom to see what was going on. <laughs> this, this, this guy, Hey, what's going on? How come this kid doesn't want to see me Total after mystery. I diss him for, after I diss him for all this time, not sure why he doesn't come running back. This is weird. Maybe the kid needs time to heal. I would love it. If Alexander, the middle kid just goes, Hey, I need time to heal. So when he found out that my wife, he refused to come to my wedding with my new wife was pregnant he told me not to visit him again. Then I found out his mom was seeing Alexander's biological father. So I, so I thought my son wanted a relationship with his bio dad instead. So even if it hurts, I respect his wishes until I found out that he also rejects this guy. Raphael, the other kid, says that one day this guy was trying to spend time with him. But Alexander said, look, dude, no hard feelings, but don't try to force a fatherly role on me because you're not my dad and I already have one. So I decided to invite him again to live with me because my other two kids live with me 80% of the time and he's the only one that refuses. So here's the question. My, my daughter was born six days ago and he hasn't come to see his half sister. So I called him and said, that if he doesn't come to see me, I'm cutting off his college fund. He told me to off and then hung up. My mom says I'm being the AH for threatening him that way. So you threaten your kids by cutting off the college fund. It's college week. We talked to Linda about her college fund. Now let's talk about this dude and his college fund. He being the jerk by threatening to cut off the college fund. Should we should we count it down? OG. Three, two, one. Yes. You didn't say anything. Yeah. It's just 
you know, I think anytime that you use money as a weapon, regardless of the situation, because you hear about this stuff, I think sometimes not, you know, not like this, but you might hear it from grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, like, you know, you haven't come see me. I'm going to cut you out of the will, you know, that, that sort of like talk sometimes is in jest. I've seen boats named my kid's inheritance. Like I'm okay with that, right? Like it's your money. Like you want to spend it on a boat and not your kids. I'm cool with that. But then to say like, I'm going to give your sister more than you because, you know, I don't understand how like that is something that is okay for people. You know, like I don't understand how people think that that will result in the desired outcome that they want. I'll show you. You don't want to come see me? I'll be such a d- that there's no chance that you're going to want to see me. I don't even think that the guy's a jerk because of the college fund thing. I think he's just got to decide if he's going to be a dad or not. Well, it's just a series of things. I'm trying to link it yes. to money. That's what I'm trying to do here. Well, but often, isn't it that money's just the leaves and there really is a root problem? That the manifestation. Has, yeah, of- it doesn't have as much to do with money. This guy's got to decide if he's a dad or not. Are you really a dad or are you not a dad? Because yeah. biologically or not, if he was in this kid's life for a long time and then all of a sudden expects a, what, 16-year-old to understand when I just can't talk to you because I need time to heal? Are you kidding me? Really? With a 16-year-old? I'm going to move across you know, to a different town because I can't, can't be bothered by you in the existing town. <laughs> like, what the hell? You know. That's somebody that's looking for an excuse to not do it, frankly. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of like the thread you were pulling on a minute ago, though, OG, about you know using money as a weapon. Uh, I think that's certainly more relevant and to what we're what we're here to do. And while it's not the root of what this guy's issues is, we don't. You know, there are no podcasts with enough time to unravel all of that. Uh, you know, talking about using money as a as a weapon in any relationship is just cruel and it's weak it's a it it's just such a easy crutch conflict avoidance yeah but you also see that that uh creates conflicts i mean we've known marriages where people have held the money card right no 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 you can't leave me because i got all the money and then you see these people with big financial abuse which is absolutely disgusting and if you're in that situation i mean in this case if you're the kid what do you do if you're the kid? Let's forget about the guy. If you're this kid, does he just move away from this bomb? Just say, forget about college. I don't really care. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. I mean, I think you do. I actually think the kid probably did the right thing. If he truly did just sever ties and say, I'm done. I mean, you have to do that just to to move on and, and create a healthier environment for yourself. You just have to separate yourself from that thing that's bringing all the toxicity. Because it is true, Doug, you're right. His problem, the guy's problem really is with mom, not with the kid. I mean, if he finds out if he finds out 13 years into this relationship that that kid is not his, and then he has this whole coping problem to take that out on the kid. Well, in, in a conversation, there can be two adults, two kids, or an adult and a kid. And I think we figured out that the dad is the kid in the conversation. Yeah. So the kid can figure out whether he wants to be a kid in the conversation and then you're just like two 16 year olds fighting or does the 16 year old want to be the adult, which is a sad way to look at it and say like, well, why does the kid have to be the adult in the room? Basically? That's what, how I feel at every episode we record <laughs> that you're the kid. That's what we feel. too. <laughs> That's Doug. exactly how we feel. 
Big thanks. Self-awareness is really key. <laughs> Big thanks to Marty for sending this to me and saying, hey, wanted to see what you guys think about this. I think it's a mess, Marty. It's exactly what, what we think. If you have something for us, that's great. Send that to Joe at stackybedjamins.com. But if you have a question yourself about your money that we're happy to dig into about your financial planning, stackybedjamins.com slash voicemail is the place to go for that. That's going to do it for today, peeps. Big thanks to a lot of people. Doug, you'll be handling that in a second. But just a couple pieces of business before we move on. I am headed to the middle of the country starting in the next couple of days. So for, for those cities, Kansas City, Omaha, Des Moines, and St. Louis, head to stackingbenjamins.com slash stacked. We'd love to see you in uh, Kansas City, Omaha, Des Moines, or St. Louis. I wonder if people are, or if our listeners in Alaska are offended when you say go into the middle of the country. Because to them, that's not the middle of the country. What's the middle of the country? Like somewhere if... up in Idaho or something. <laughs> Move the geographical needle up. Like, right. you know, mathematically, Joe, mathematically. There is like one spot in Kansas that's the geographical center of the lower 48, and it, there's like a little post there. There is a sign. Of course, there's a sign. Yeah. And the local town brags about it. There's a coffee shop that's named Geographical Center Roast or something. I don't know. The middle. Uh, Iowa's got a baseball field in the middle of a cornfield. Kansas has got to have something. They got to. Like, we got to sell this somehow. They have a cornfield in the middle of a baseball field. (laughs) Love Kansas. I do, too. I think Kansas is beautiful, but that basketball team, no thanks. No thanks. Pretty good. They are very good. Very good. Just not they beaten up by my Spartans one too many times, I think, for my liking. But uh, please come see us, stackybedjamins.com slash stack love, hanging out with other stackers. And in just a few weeks, we head to Denver, Longmont, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, and Vegas. Once again, stackybedjamins.com slash stacked. By the way, OG, I got a bunch of books here that I got to uh, mom is making me clean these up. So we are going to, now that I'm back in the basement a little more, I'm going to resume sending out books to people who leave us reviews. Now, here's the rules, guys. D- d- do not leave us a review just to get one of these books. But I do know that a lot of times there are shows that we like, there's things that we like, and we don't leave a review just because we don't think about it. So if you leave a review, I would love to put your name in a hat. We're going to give away one every week. So send me the review, joe at stackingbenjamins.com, and uh, I'll be happy to put your name in the hat. And here is a recent review that came in while we weren't talking about this. So if you left us this review, shoot me an email. Was it an anonymous review? And that's why you've got to ask for them to shoot you an email? Well, you just never know. It's uh, it's Rusty Gurlia, Doug. So it's not uh, it's not anonymous, but when people are just using their their Apple ID, I don't know. Uh, one of my favorites, five stars, is a great podcast to obtain valuable information about personal finance while being super entertained at the same time. I appreciate the quick wit, which sometimes comes in the form of high-quality dad jokes. I'm also a Michigan native and appreciate the positive stories about my home state. We are a little positive about the state of Michigan, as we are the state of Kansas on today's show. Good stuff. Thank you so much for that. And if you'd like to leave us a review, I'm going to get rid of some of these uh, books. I get we are sent books so I can prepare for interviews and then I, I just don't have room for all of them. So I'd love to make sure that they get read 
And last but not least, if you're not here for books, you're not here to hear about changing the workplace the way flight attendants did, you're here because you need a better team in your corner. Well, guess what? You can think bigger about your goals. OG and his team are taking clients. Stackybedjamins.com slash OG is the link to their calendar so that you can begin interfacing with them to talk about how they can help you dream bigger. Stackybedjamins.com slash OG. All right, Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take a lesson from Nell McShane Wolfhart. Want to make a change at work? Start a revolution. Or maybe just talk to your boss. People don't know what you're feeling or hoping to achieve unless you tell them. Second, the stock market? While it's down, remember that this year's loss is only a portion of the last few years' oversized gains. Keep investing, people. But the big lesson? I don't have to take this anymore, Joe. After this week, no more cheek peeking out of my short shorts. My eyes are up here, buddy. Thanks to Nell McShane Wolfhart for being with us today. Her book, The Great Stewardess Rebellion, is available in airport bookstores now. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives, written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all The Basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at The Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Looks like next week, OG, you and I are going to go see the same movie.
Did you see the trailer for the new Mission Impossible Part 1? I saw that there was a trailer. I saw the link for it, and I didn't click it yet, but I was pretty damned excited. It's worth it to click on. I got to tell you, those movies, you know, I wanted to kind of not like those movies. It was like, uh, really? And every single one, man, brings it. They're good. Every single one brings it. Uh, I, I haven't seen the trailer. Are they going to digitally make Tom Cruise like 22 or have they like, how are they going back to part one? Part one of the next movie. Of a new series. They're actually doing a two parter. Oh, like they're, they're basically making a six hour Mission Impossible <laughs> and turning it into two movies. Yeah, I didn't understand that. When you said part one, I just assumed, OK, they're going back to like they're showing us to the origin story. Oh, no, 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 no. Not origin story part one. Got it. That would be, frankly, I'd be more interested in that. I don't know if you guys know this, but there have been a few superhero movies out lately. I don't know if, hmm. uh, apparently this is a new trend that they have some, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool that uh, Marvel and DC maybe having a movie here and there. And I just went to watch the new Doctor Strange part two featuring, of course, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Let's listen to the trailer. I dream the same dream. Then the nightmare begins. I did what I had to do to protect our world. You cannot control everything, Strange. You opened the doorway between universes. And we don't know who or what will walk through it. Wanda, what do you know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. And it turns out, shockingly, that the metaverse, the multiverse, rather, is dangerous, and uh, they venture into it. The metaverse is also dangerous, by the way. I said metaverse. I said... And the multiverse. They're all dangerous. They're all dangerous. Everything is dangerous. Oh, yeah. Multiverse is what I actually meant. So I started with metaverse, went to... Yep. I see what you did there. Yes. They're all dangerous. Just any verse. You know... uh, Man, there's so many cool people in here. Sam Raimi is the director. He knows how to put together a great movie. Of course, you got Benedict Cumberbatch. You've got Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda from uh, the popular WandaVision show that everybody who watched that show told me got better the longer you watched it. Started off really weird. And and as you watch the whole series, uh, got increasingly better reviews. And you also have Rachel McAdams, who we just don't see enough of anymore. I feel like she was everywhere and then nowhere. And lately I've seen her in a few movies again, which is fantastic because she's, I think, one of America's very, very good. I I don't know if she's a great actor, but I believe her every time. Love what she does. So among others, there's plenty of other people. So action-packed show, great director, great actors, and this movie sucked. (laughs) <laughs> this couldn't have been this couldn't have been more boring and just this idea of this multiverse crap I'm so tired of it because what it essentially does I think is it lets the writers just cheat. Oh, you know how we're going to solve this? 
we're going to have a different Dr. Strange come save the day from a different universe because this one is in trouble that he can't get out of. I feel like they write themselves into a corner and then they go, how am I going to, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open up a time portal and I'm going to have this other Dr. Strange. Oh God. And it's just so boring. And there's these action sequences that just are about nothing. You know, they're pretty, they're fine. But when there's no stakes, when there's absolutely no reason for me to watch it, like, don't get me wrong, OG, I like watching stuff blow up too. But it's got to be watching stuff blow up for a reason. I will tell you, the movie this movie's trying to be, and and I reviewed it a couple weeks ago, if you want to watch a movie about a multiverse with high stakes that matters, everything, everywhere, all at once is the movie you want to watch. These are two movies doing the same thing, everything, everywhere, all at once. What's the movie? What's the name of the movie we want to watch? Everything, everywhere, all at once. The one I talked about recently oh, with title. with with Michelle Yeoh, who was in uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Jamie Lee Curtis. That is a fantastic, fantastic movie about a multiverse doing the same thing, but doing it really, really, really well. Rotten Tomatoes gives that one 96%. Go watch that, not this. I don't know. I think I've probably done this rant every time you've talked about superhero movies, but I just don't get them. I just, I, there's never any stakes for me. I don't care. The only superhero based movie slash show that I've ever really, uh, yeah, I think that I can remember caring about and, and stakes is the series, the boys. And that's coming back. The boys. And that's coming back. It is. The season five's coming out any day. Yes. Can't wait yeah. to watch the boys. I love the boys. But once again, I, that is so layered and nuanced. It's, fantastic absolutely and there's some i don't know i thought some of these were fun i thought the five rings was a really fun movie i enjoyed that straightforward formulaic super fun ant-man i thought was really good because it was so different a lot of the uh i think tom holland everybody loves paul rudd well and i think tom holland same thing (laughs) as uh spider-man yeah spider-mans were pretty good i think the spider-mans even though the last one i was tired of the multiverse in that one when you got the two old spider-mans and him together because we got the three of them i'm like oh just uh, you know you can you can smell the executives in a in a uh conference room go no 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 gross we'll get all the old ones together with the new one and it'll be this great cool thing you're like yeah it's not nearly as cool as you think it is i don't i don't know not not that big a fan i want to smell executives benedict cumberbatch uh fine actor wasted in this movie uh do not go see the new dr strange Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service, 
to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.